This morning I'm going to bring a sermon in keeping with the Father's Day theme. I will return to our study in the Gospel according to Luke next Sunday and we'll look at the last section in chapter 10. But that said, we're still going to be in the Gospel of Luke, just a long way past where we're up to. Uh, Please, if you haven't already, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and we'll take our reading from verse 13 down to verse 46. So we're diving uh, right into the crucifixion narrative, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus." And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and others, and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, 
Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that we can be together this morning. Thank you for the joy of, of singing praises to you and to your Son. We thank you, Father and Son, for sending your Holy Spirit to live within us, to illumine our minds, to guide us and to comfort us. And we ask, Father and Son, that your Holy Spirit would now do that good work uh, in our minds and in our hearts. Pray that he would help us to understand the text of Scripture before us. Please encourage us. Please instruct us. Please continue to conform us into the image of your Son. For that is what we want to be. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Now, this might seem like a slightly odd choice of text for a Father's Day sermon, but if you stick with me, I think you'll see that it's actually very appropriate. Uh, there are some powerful messages in this passage for fathers and for all of us. I want to begin by having us think about the end of Jesus' ordeal on the cross. And this is the first heading in our outline, the end of Jesus' suffering. We've talked about this before, but the gospel writers were all very careful in the way they described Jesus' decease. And I've put their accounts side by side for you in the outline. Uh, Matthew describes it this way, Matthew chapter 27 verse 50, uh, he yielded up the ghost. And then Mark, Luke and John all say that Jesus gave up the ghost. And you can see the references. None of the gospel writers say that Jesus simply died. They're all careful not to present Jesus as a passive victim of the injuries he suffered. Uh, They're careful to say that Jesus was, for want of a better term, active in his own passing. He yielded up the ghost. The Greek word translated ghost is the word pneuma. It literally refers to wind or breath. Uh, In this context, it refers to Jesus' human spirit and soul. It, It refers to his immaterial part as opposed to his body. So how do we understand this? Well, it means that Jesus willingly allowed himself to succumb to the injuries that had been inflicted upon him. And here we come to the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus was both man and God, two natures perfectly united in one person. It's evident that Jesus' human nature was sustained by his divine nature, such that his body could not die unless Jesus willed it so. 
Uh, Jesus, unlike any other person, had to choose to succumb to the wounds and the trauma that would have ordinarily killed a human being. Now, there are some very deep theological waters we could plunge into at this point, but I won't digress from where we're going. I'll leave a thorough Christological discussion for another day. One of the great Christian theologians, Augustine, stated it this way. It's very simple. He did not leave life against his will, but because he willed, when he willed, as he willed. And then he goes on to quote Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. That's what we see in Jesus' decease. That's the picture the gospel writers are painting for us. Uh, Jesus, of his own volition, letting go of his life. And when he got to this point, after those six awful hours of agony on the cross, when he knew that God's purposes in his suffering had been accomplished, when he knew that it was finished, what was on Jesus' mind? Or should I say, who was on Jesus' mind? And that brings us to the second heading in our outline and the text I want us to ponder this morning. Who was on Jesus' mind right there at the end? Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was thinking about his father. His mind was directed upwards to his father. And before I say more about that, I think most of us know that Jesus quoted from Psalm 22 when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But did you know that right here at the end he was also quoting from the Psalms? Psalm 31 verse 5, into thine hand I commit my spirit. That was an expression of David's trust in the Lord in the midst of great trouble and adversity. And here in his final moments on the cross, it was an expression of Jesus' confidence in his father. I don't know all of your backgrounds. I don't know the family history of everyone in this room and I don't need to know. All of that might be very private and personal to you. It may be that some of you didn't know your father very well. Maybe not at all. Perhaps he left before you were old enough to know him or he passed away while you were very young. Or maybe you knew him but you didn't see him very often. He was largely absent from your life. My daughter had to put together a family tree for a school assignment. And as we helped her with that, as we tried to work back through the generations on both sides, following lines of descendants from Europe and Asia, we we came to a particular branch of the tree where we couldn't write anything down. There is a man, one of our ancestors, and we don't know who he is. A father who was unknown. To his children. 
Now today it's not at all uncommon for children to live with a man who is not their father. Uh, Their mother has another partner or spouse. Sometimes that works. Uh, There is a meaningful, nurturing relationship that's formed. That man becomes a father to those children. And sometimes it doesn't work. However things have been between you and your father, it's very obvious when we read the Gospels that Jesus knew who his father was. We see that right from when he was a boy of 12 in the temple. What did he say to his mother when she finally found him there conversing with the scholars? Luke chapter 2 verse 49. How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? He was in the place of his father's business. He was in his father's house. He was at home, the the son of God, in the temple of God. And interestingly, in the early days of Jesus' ministry, he visited the temple. And if you remember, he was disgusted by the commerce that was taking place within that holy place. And he turned over the tables and drove out the money changers and the animal sellers. And what did he say? John chapter 2 verse 16, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Again, Jesus knew who his father was, the one true and living God who was worshipped in that temple in Jerusalem. Jesus not only knew who his father was, he knew his father. And we understand the difference, don't we? For all of his earthly life, Jesus maintained a wonderful relationship with his father. It was rich and it was deep. Jesus often spoke about his father and to his father. If if you take some time to look, you'll find Jesus praying all through the gospel accounts. Let me give you some examples. Jesus prayed at his baptism. Luke chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. He prayed in the morning before heading to Galilee. Mark chapter 1 verses 35 and 36. He prayed after healing people. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. He prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. He prayed while speaking to the Jewish leaders. Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 and 26. He prayed before feeding the 5,000. John chapter 6 verse 11. He was in prayer before walking on water. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. He was praying before Peter confessed him as the Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And there's at least 10 more examples that I could bring to you. And for the adults here this morning, if your father is still alive, how often do you talk to him? Every day? Once a week? Once a month? Jesus communed with his father constantly. And he didn't have a telephone or an iPad. There was no FaceTime or WhatsApp. And furthermore, his father was in heaven and he was on earth. And yet there was this marvellous relationship. There was a closeness. There was a depth of fellowship. 
Another way of looking at this is to consider how often Jesus referred to God as his Father. Now, there are various ways we can do this, and it's bigger than just a word study. A word study doesn't give the fullest possible picture, but if we limit our search to the number of times in the Gospels that Jesus referred to God with the expression, My Father, this is what we discover. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are eight instances where Jesus referred to God this way. Interestingly, there are no examples of this in the Gospel of Mark. That's not to say that Mark doesn't record other ways in which Jesus indicated that God was his Father, but we don't find Jesus using that exact expression, my Father. In the Gospel of Luke, there are four occasions where Jesus is recorded referring to God as my Father. And then in the Gospel of John, and if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, this won't surprise you, Jesus calls God, my Father, 38 times. It's all through the narrative. It's all through the discourses that Jesus gave. My Father, my Father, my Father. Jesus knew his Father very well, and he knew his Father loved him. He said so multiple times in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3, verse 35, The Father loveth the Son. Chapter 5, verse 20, For the Father loveth the Son. Chapter 10, verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me. Chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father hath loved me. Chapter 17, verse 24, Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew his father's love and he loved his father. John chapter 14 verse 31, but that the world may know that I love the father. When we read the gospels, another thing we see, actually it's something we can't miss, is that Jesus was committed to doing his father's will. Jesus was an obedient son. All the way through, from the the high points of ministry to those deepest, darkest moments, Jesus submitted to his Father. We saw him a a few weeks ago rejoicing aloud, uh, lifting up his hands and offering praise to his Father for what was happening. Uh, The disciples had gone out and preached the gospel and even the devils had been subject to them in his name. Uh, Luke chapter 10 verse 21, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. We saw him filled with Holy Spirit joy, praising his Father. Because his Father's will was coming to pass. And then later on, we see him weeping, don't we? We see an utterly broken man weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. We imagine him on his knees, hunched over in agony, as he contemplates the suffering he is about to experience. The horror of it all suddenly grips his soul, and and what does he say? Father, no, no, I won't do it. I know it's your will, but no. He didn't say that, did he? He said, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. And that was a perfectly normal human response. There was nothing rebellious about it at all. We'd all have prayed that prayer. Father, please, 
If there's another way, show me. Bring that to pass. But if there's not, then I'll do what you want me to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. That was Jesus. That was the Messiah. That was Jesus in relation to his Father. And that brings us to our text in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. When we think about all of this, it shouldn't surprise us that this was in Jesus' mind right there at the end. Who else would he have been thinking about? Now, when people are lying on their deathbeds, generally speaking, who do they want around? Who do do they want to commune with? Those they love the most. Those they're closest to. No one loved Jesus like his father did, and Jesus loved his father above all else. Jesus had lived all of his life secure in his father's love and constantly in his father's fellowship. And we've only glanced at that relationship this morning. We we could have gone to some passages in the Gospel of John and been overwhelmed by the love and the closeness that Jesus and his Father shared. Uh, Have a look at John chapter 5 sometime, or chapter 10, or chapter 14. Listen to the Father speak from the clouds. He publicly confessed his love. This is my beloved Son. And such was the strength of that relationship that Jesus could entrust his spirit into his father's keeping. He could commit his life to God knowing that everything would be okay. He could succumb to the wounds. He could release his life confident that it would be safe. I've done your will and I know you love me into thy hands. I commend my spirit. I want to leave you this morning with two thoughts drawn from these last words of our Lord Jesus before he gave up the ghost. The first thought is for everyone to ponder and then I have something especially for fathers. The first thought can be summed up in a question. Do you share Jesus' confidence? Do you share Jesus' confidence? Not everyone experiences death like Jesus did. And what I mean by that is that Jesus knew exactly when he was going to die. In fact, as we've seen, he he didn't die until he willed it to happen. For many, death comes unexpectedly. A major organ suddenly stops functioning and they're gone. Or they're involved in an accident and that's it. But as medicine advances, it's also true that many people are aware that their life is ebbing away. You think of people who die of cancer, often they know what's happening. They know the end is coming. And if that's the way your life comes to an end, will you have this confidence? Now, as you're lying there, about to breathe your final breath, will you be able to say to God Almighty what Jesus said in our text, to Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
God, I know you love me and I love you and I know everything is going to be okay. I commit my soul to you. You might not get that chance. Your life might end very quickly and unexpectedly. But all the same, do you have this peace of mind? Do you have this assurance that you are secure in God's love? That your life is safe forever in your heavenly Father's hands? Or are you full of fear? Are you full of doubts about what's going to happen to you when you die? Do you do your best not to think about death because you find it so troubling? The only way you can die with this confidence is if you are in a relationship with God right now. If you know God as Father today and you can only have that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now these words were penned in a little city in Germany 450 years ago but they still resonate with such clarity and beauty. Now what what is your only comfort in life and in death? What's the only thing that can get you through the trials and tribulations of of life and get you through that really hard part at the end? It's a good question, isn't it? What is your only comfort in life and in death? It's knowing this, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins With his precious blood. Now I'm forgiven. I'm not guilty anymore. I fear no judgment for the evil that I've done. Because Jesus took it all in my place. On the cross. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And has set me free from all the power of the devil. The devil has no claim on me. I don't live under his dominion. I belong to Jesus the son of God. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. A kingdom of light and love. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Now, God is my Father, and He's good, and He's powerful. He has my best interests at heart, and He is ordering all of the circumstances of my life to bring to pass what is good for me. Nothing happens to me by chance. There is a good and godly purpose in everything. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. My life is inevitably heading towards the end that my Father has ordained. My salvation, that is the full realisation of my salvation in glory. My humanity completely transformed, rid forever of sin and sickness. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. And makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now congregation, Jesus died with hope. Jesus died with hope of life with his father. He died with hope of resurrection. He died with the assurance of glory. And we can die with the same confidence that Jesus did if we belong to him. If we're trusting in him and him alone. If we belong to Jesus, we'll be able to say when our time comes, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Do you share Jesus' confidence? 
That's the first thing I want you to think about this morning. It's a question for all of us to answer. And if you're uncertain, if you're you're troubled about this, then please come and talk to me after the service or talk to someone else here this morning. We'd love to have a conversation with you about Jesus, about the gospel, about the assurance of sins forgiven and everlasting life. The second thought I want to leave with you is especially for fathers... Uh, This, after all, is Father's Day. There really is no comparing God as Father to our Lord Jesus Christ and we as fathers to our children. We're not God and our kids are definitely not Jesus. And yet, there is something vitally important for us to learn from Jesus' final words from the cross. As I've already said, uh, these words reveal that Jesus was secure in his Father's love. Jesus' little prayer speaks of a confidence, even a trust in his Father. He he could yield up his life into his Father's hands. He, He knew that everything was going to be okay. As fathers, isn't this what we want? Don't we want our children to feel secure in our love? Don't we want our children to trust us, especially as they get older and the risks get bigger? Don't we want our children to listen to us, to respect us and obey us? How's that going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen if we're absent if we're constantly away from our children doing other things. It's not going to happen if we're self-centred. It's not going to happen if our lives are devoted to our own plans and our own pleasures. And it's not going to happen by simply standing on the authority that God has given us. Now, I'm your father and so you have to do what I say. Now, don't misunderstand me. That's reason enough for our children to obey us. But that's not going to make them feel safe. That's not going to imbue them with a deep sense of trust in us and respect for us. That only comes as we make a consistent effort to live in relationship with them. That respect, that trust only forms within their hearts as they experience our interest in them and our care for them. It comes as we share our life with them, commune with them, just as the Father communed with Jesus. It's got to be more than theoretical. It has to be experienced. It has to be felt. It has to be known by them in the core of their being that we, as their father, love them. That takes more than words. And it cannot happen at a distance. You can tell your children you love them, and I hope you do. You can work really hard to provide for them, to to give them a nice home in which to live and good food to nourish them and comfortable clothes for them to wear. Uh, You can work hard so they can go to a good school and play sport and pursue whatever it is they're interested in. You can even drag them along to church on a Sunday morning. But if you don't spend time with them, if you don't frequently put to one side what you want to do so that you can be with them and talk to them and play with them and take them places their experience their sense of your love will be very limited 
it will be shallow and not securing. They won't trust you and respect you like you want them to. In my experience, Christian fathers can be so good at providing for their children. They can be so good when it comes to leading the family and bringing discipline into the home. It's tick, tick, tick when it comes to all of the duties prescribed in Scripture. And yet Christian fathers can be so poor when it comes to actually relating to their children. Duty is relatively easy. Relationship is not so easy. And sometimes we can use duty as a way of avoiding relationship. It's easier to do some overtime so we can pay for things than it is to spend an hour doing something with our kids that they want to do. Now we'll take a couple of extra hours in the office over Disney princesses any time. But what does it say if we do that all the time? Relationship takes time and sacrifice and patience and emotional engagement. It's messy. It can be very frustrating. But it's that interest. It's that sharing. It's that communion that communicates our love. That's how they feel it. That's how they know it. And that's what makes all the difference. If we want our children to love us, listen to us, respect us and trust us, we have to pour ourselves into our relationship with them. And Maybe that's something you need to address. Today's a good day to think about how you're doing as a father and engage in some spirit-directed self-examination. Today's a good day to own up to your shortcomings or to your selfishness if that's what the Holy Spirit is pressing you about. Today is a good day to resolve, with God's help, to be the kind of father your children need you to be. Amen.